This is Stephen Eckert from Rock Hills Church giving a talk today that I originally gave on May 31st of 2015, but due to a technical glitch, the recording didn't happen. So this is July 2nd, and I'm re-recording this talk for you. I feel kind of cool because I've got a big microphone sitting here as if I were doing a podcast. Um, but it's exciting for me. Um, hope that this talk is useful for you. Uh, we're, I'm continuing our series of one-on-one. When I first gave this talk, I looked out into the audience because I'm kind of a, a guest speaker. I'm not one of the usual speakers. And the way that I knew this was true is I saw this one woman whisper to her friend who had brought her, hmm, he's not as old as I thought. And I think the reason that she did that was her friend who brought her, who was a regular attender, had told her, now, there are two guys who normally talk, a hot one and an old one. And clearly, I was not the hot one. So I'm continuing today with our talk um, our series, or I'm finishing the series one-on-one, which is about our relationship with God and with others. Last week, Dave spoke about sharing your faith, did a great job with that. I'm actually talking about the same topic. This is sharing your faith part two, which I'm calling sharing for dummies. And the reason I'm calling it that is because when Dave called and asked me, can you do this? I said, sure. And then I said, what's the topic? He said, sharing your faith. And I said, oh, okay, I'm happy to talk about that, but I don't see myself is particularly good at it. I'm not Al Hassler for sure. He said, oh, no, no. We want to show people that you don't have to be great at it. I thought, wow, I'm the lowest common denominator. This is not the first time in my life I've been the lowest common denominator. Back when my kids were in preschool, my wife uh, was part of a group called Mothers of Preschoolers. They would meet once a month at church. And her job there was to create and lead a craft. And I was the person on whom it was tested because it was assumed that if I could do it, clearly any random mother of a preschooler who happened to walk into the church could also do it because my craft skills are not very high. So I'm going to talk today about sharing your faith for dummies. And as I said before, when I've spoken before, I'm an outline guy. I've been in industry forever, and I just have to have an outline whenever I do a talk. So I'm going to first of all talk about my own faith story, share that with you. Then I'm going to talk about some misconceptions I had as, as a guy in high school, I went to a church that talked a lot about evangelism, and, and I think I had some misconceptions about sharing your faith, and I wanted to share those with you. And then I'm going to talk about how sharing your faith is kind of like an iceberg. You know, with an iceberg, you only see the top one-eighth. The part that's above the water is only one-eighth of the iceberg, and what's below the water is seven-eighths. And I think of that top one-eighth as being sharing your faith with words, but the bigger part of sharing your faith, the part that is the anchor and the foundation, is sharing your faith with your life. And I'm going to break that up into two different pieces. One is sharing your life intentionally with others. And the other is the very deepest part, which is how you share your faith and your life with others, even when you're not intending to. So I thought I'd start out by talking to you about my own faith journey. My parents were the first generation in their families to go from being what I would call cultural Christians to actual followers of Jesus. And this was before I was born. Um, My parents both grew up Methodist, and my father actually taught Methodist Sunday school and told the kids in Sunday school, or this is what he's told me, that he told the kids in Sunday school, now, you don't have to really actually believe this stuff. So that's quite a change from going from being a Sunday school teacher saying you don't have to believe it to actually being a follower of Jesus. So since they were new Christians, This is something I heard a lot growing up. I heard all about it, what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to put your faith in Jesus. And I think I really became a believer at the age of five. But I know that I confirmed this 
at the age of nine when I heard a sermon on crucifixion and what Jesus went through for me. To be fair, I was a really good kid. I'm just by nature a kind of do-gooder, a kind of rule follower. And so I had always heard this all my life. But in this message, I learned that even the things that I did that were wrong, they may be different than other people, but they still were sin and they still deserved punishment and that Jesus took that punishment for me. The thing that impacted me about this sermon was details on what death by crucifixion is like. I had always assumed a person just kind of hung there and ran out of food and water, really, but that isn't, that isn't what happens. Remember, you've seen the pictures that the nails are placed through the bones in the wrist, flat nails are placed through the bones of the wrist, and the single nail is placed through the bones of the feet. And the arms and knees are held, they're not held straight out, they have some flex in them, because how a person dies in crucifixion is the weight of the body has the person hanging down against those nails in the wrists, and you can't exhale, so it's like suffocating. So every fiber of your being wants to push up on these nails that, by the way, are pushing against nerves, and so excruciating pain as you push up to be able to exhale, and then you fall down again, and you have the whole process repeats for hours, really. Um, if you remember that you, they're not closed, so their back is rubbing up against the, the rough wood of the cross. And you've seen in, maybe you've read in the Bible or you've seen in video that they break the legs of people. And the reason they broke the legs was they wanted to, the, they wanted to be finished with the process and you could no longer exhale because you could no longer push up. So this to me, was very impactful that the things that I had done wrong were deserving of penalty. And this is the penalty that God sent his son to suffer for me. And it was then that I uh, confirmed my decision to become a follower of Christ. Now, after this period of time, I, I went to, we always went to Bible believing churches and my faith grew through these churches, and in these churches that I grew up in, for sure, they talked a lot about evangelism. Now, last week, Dave talked a lot about how to share your faith and gave some really great specifics. I'm going to talk here. I'm not going to repeat what Dave said. I'm going to talk about two misconceptions I had about sharing your faith. The first was that um, my impression was if you were living your Christian life correctly, you'd be in line, say, at a grocery store, maybe at the post office, and someone would come up to you and say, I'm sorry, you just seem to have a special glow about you. I, I've got a hole in my heart, and I think it's God-shaped, and I think there's something that you need to share with me. Maybe I misinterpreted that, but that's how I felt, that people would tell you that you had special glow. And I think this was especially emphasized by this one youth leader that we had, now, this youth leader was this guy. He was in his early 20s. He would walk into the room, and every girl in that room, their jaws would just drop, and they would start slobbering because they thought he was extremely handsome. And he was this guy who would say things like, and this is, remember, I lived in Dallas, would say things like, I'm thinking of biking to Galveston over spring break. Who's in? When I mean, he was a man's man and, he 
he shared a lot of stories of successful evangelism. But I remember thinking, as a person in high school, I, I am never going to be this. I am not going to have people flocking to me because of this personality. And I think that we tend to share success stories in church about evangelism that make it sound like this is what happens all the time. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's what happens all the time. Um, one thing I think we need to remember is that uh, all Christians are given the command to disciple others, but there are some whose specific role and gifting is evangelism. Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 12 says, So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, what's something we can learn from that verse? I think one thing that's quite obvious is not every person in the church is specifically gifted with evangelism. That is not the only role. doesn't mean that we aren't supposed to tell people about Jesus. It just means there are some people that are going to be gifted to do that, and it's not everybody. The key for me is that I don't have to compare myself to others. I need to follow God's command, and that's all he expects. You know, there is a phenomenal parable in the Bible about uh, people who were given different amounts of money, and they were told to go make more for their master. It's It's a great parable because in the end, Jesus said, you're only responsible for what you have been given. And I think this is true with evangelism. We are responsible to tell other people, but we don't have to be the best person on earth or as good as other people at, at doing that. Now, another misconception that I had, and this is a very strong one I had when I was a kid, was that it was my job to convince people through logic and reasoning that Christianity was true. And this is the verse that was presented to me over and over that I now believe I badly misunderstood. This is from 1 Peter verse th- uh, 3, verse 15. It says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You see, what I thought this meant was, no matter what person comes to me, no matter what their faith background is, whether they have a lack of it, no matter what their life situation is, no matter what they're going through, I need to be ready to convince them with my clever words and perhaps a bibliography that Jesus is the only way. And I don't think now that that's what this verse says. I think what it says is I have to give them the reason for my hope. I have to tell them Jesus is the reason for my hope. I don't have to convince them of that. We should remember that it's not our clever words that convince someone to follow Christ. In fact, it is not us at all. The first part of John 6.44 says, No one can come to me, that's Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws them. It's God who draws people to him. Our job to tell, our job to share our lives with people, but It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict people. Now, when it comes to sharing your faith, I said earlier that for many of us, we are not specifically gifted with evangelism, even though we're still commanded to make disciples, and that the bulk of sharing our faith comes from sharing our lives. I said before that it's kind of like an iceberg. That top part is sharing your faith with words, but the bottom part, the bigger part, is sharing your faith with your life. And I think of that as divided into two pieces. The, the kind of middle piece is 
intentionally sharing with others. And the bottom piece is the sharing that you do when you don't realize you're sharing. For many of us, people who know us will learn about our faith through the lives we lead. Specifically, they will notice when we lead lives that are different from what they see every day. They will notice when we put their needs before their own. You know, the believers in the very early church, right after Jesus had been raised from the dead, lived out their faith in a way that was quite different from what was going on around them. In Acts 2, verses 44 to 47, we read that all believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can you imagine at the time when Jesus lived and was resurrected, what it was like for rich and poor to share everything they had? Very different from what was going on around them. And this would naturally draw people in. This would form a foundation from which they could share about the gospel of Jesus Christ. People will notice when we sacrifice something of ours for them. I have a relative who, when she was younger, had quite a few problems with alcohol. And her brother told her that if you will never take a drink again, I will in my life never take a drink again. He didn't have the problem with alcohol, but he volunteered to walk the journey with her. Now, he is a man of faith, and I believe that by doing this, he opened up a foundation to be able to share with her the gospel of Jesus because he showed that he was willing to do something to sacrifice his his enjoyment uh, for the rest of his life for her. Another example, I think, where we can make an impact and share our faith intentionally is by loving those who are unlovable. There's a phenomenal book called Same Kind of Different as Me. And this book tells a story of a man named Denver Moore who has since passed away, but Denver Moore was an African-American man. He uh, was born in Louisiana a while back. And when he was a young man, he saw a woman, a white woman, who was having trouble with her car. He went out to help her, and two other guys, two white guys, came up on horseback and did not like that he was helping a white woman and dragged him behind their horses by the neck by a rope. And in this book, it talks about he had a lot of bitterness, which I think is completely understandable because of this event. And later on in his life, um, he he has a personal relationship with Jesus. He comes becomes a Christian, and he ends up helping this one older gentleman who lived alone in an apartment, had no family, and the apartment was a mess, and he couldn't really take care of himself. And Denver would go to his apartment and clean it. And you know how much fun that would be, cleaning up an apartment from someone who can't clean up after themselves. And in the beginning, while he was doing this, this older white man was hurling racial epithets at him as he did it. And yet Denver continued to do this because said he knew what Jesus had done for him and he had to help others. And it's actually 
when I knew I was giving this talk, I went to look this up in the book, and I, I couldn't find my book because I've given the copy of it away so many times. But I believe that that it was this foundation that Denver laid that allowed him, this other gentleman, to come to Christ himself because he loved a person who was unlovable. I think that's something else that we can do. You know, the Bible tells us, and Dave shared last week, that we should make the most of every situation. Colossians 4, 5 says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And I think we all, based on where we are in life and where God has put us, have different opportunities and experiences, circles of friends and gifting. We also have a God who knows what we can handle. All we are called to do is to make the most of every opportunity that comes our way. I've had a couple of examples from my own you know, work life. I work with scientists, and I've worked for a lot of time with, with folks in the Northeast, and I feel like they are less churched and less of them have relationships with God than people here in the South. Um, I had an opportunity with one colleague that I work with, I have a lot of respect for, and I was able to tell her, you know, we were talking about some Bible stories. She was uh, uh, Jewish by birth, but she wasn't practicing, and uh, I said, you know, to me, these are not just stories. These are the historical accounts of how God has interacted with human beings and things that we can learn from. And she said, really? <laughs> you really think those are real? I said, oh, yeah, it's definitely I do. And, you know, I've had another opportunity with another colleague at work where we were talking about faith. And this colleague said that she felt that all religions were essentially the same. And I said, you know, I, I really don't think that's true at all. I think that most religions discuss how does man work, or humans, how do people work their way up to God? And Christianity says you cannot work your way up to God. God is perfect. And the only way is for Jesus to come down. The example that I like to give is, we all know that Dave Lance is this unbelievably fit athletic runner. So if Super Dave and I were both trying to jump across the Grand Canyon, clearly Super Dave would get much further than I would, but it wouldn't really matter because we're not going to get anywhere close. We're both plunged into the bottom no matter what. Yeah. So I think that this is the way to understand it, that Christianity says God has to reach down to you because you can't get there on your own. And this is really not the same as other faiths. So the thing I encouraged her is there is a truth out there, and you should look for things that are true. Another thing I like to do, it's just my nature to enjoy hosting things. And so I have people over to play poker because I just enjoy that. I enjoy having people from my work and church together, just having a good time together. I actually invited someone who said last time, wow, that was not churchy. I was really surprised. That was not very churchy, and that's exactly what I like, is to plant some seeds there. So I think we all have our own opportunities and can interact in people's lives as God gives us those opportunities and chances. Now, we've talked about sharing your faith intentionally, how you intentionally share in people's lives, make the most of every opportunity. But we also need to be aware that once people have any idea that we profess to have faith, they're going to be watching, and we'll be sharing our faith whether we like it or not. I've shown this, uh, or I, when I did the talk originally, I showed this as the deepest part of the iceberg, the core part that's really hard to see from the surface. 
but it's definitely there. I can give what I think is a, a great example. As a lad, I was a little bit smitten with uh, Amy Grant, the Christian singer. I'm, I'm about that age where that would happen for me. We weren't encouraged to listen to secular music, but we could listen to Christian music, and that was Amy Grant. I always thought she was very pretty, had this really great voice. And in my late 30s, I got the opportunity to meet her. Uh, the church that I went to was a fairly large church, and she came and did a concert there because it was a, a venue, a space. And I was a volunteer in the coffee shop at this church. I told you it was big. It had a coffee shop. I was a volunteer, and I was there setting up the coffee. And ah, through the door between the, the coffee shop and the kitchen, there was Amy Grant. And I asked if I was allowed to say hi to her, and I was told, yes, you can. Her husband, Vince Gill, was standing there too, but who cares? There was Amy Grant. So I went up and said, hey, Amy, um, my name's Stephen. I've been a fan since I was a teenager, and I saw you in the Bronco Bowl in Dallas. And she said, oh, really? Bronco Bowl, it's a great place. Was that before or after the Reconstruction? Now, I am not a very emotional person, but I think this was the first and only time in my life I responded like a teenager talking to One Direction. Uh, she, I don't have a tape of what I actually said, but I, I think it sounded something like, I don't know, Amy, because I... I was so flustered that Amy Grant was talking to me. And I thought this was so funny. I, I relayed this story at work uh, to some of my colleagues because I'm just not a person that gets flustered like that. And one of my colleagues said, so Amy Grant and Vince Gill were there? And I said, yes. And this colleague said, so it was the home record tour then? You see, Amy Grant and Vince Gill had each left spouses and gotten together. Now, I'm not judging anybody. I don't know their particular stories. I'm just saying that when you are a person of faith, people pay attention to what your behavior is. I remember very specifically uh, in 10th grade being in this one class where I had, there were a few juniors in that class and all of those guys were in a nationally known campus, high school campus ministry. And what they did the entire time was make fun of people and like in mean ways. And I remember thinking, I'm already a Christian. I will have nothing to do with this organization because of this. If this is who their leaders are, these guys were leaders in it. I'm just not going to participate. And I remember thinking, man, what about people who don't know Christ already? What are they going to think about Christianity? Now, please be aware, I'm... We all do really dumb stuff when we're in high school. It's not saying anybody has to lead a perfect life. I'm just saying people pay attention. You know, a phrase that has stuck with me came from this book that I read called Nickel and Dimed. The author spent, this author spent a year living on minimum wage to see what it was like and report on it. There was one observation that she made that has really stuck with me. It was from a time when she was a waitress. She didn't say the name of the restaurant, but I think it's something like a Denny's. So here's the quote. The worst, for some reason, are the visible Christians, like the 10-person table, all jolly and sanctified after Sunday night service, who run me mercilessly and then leave me a $1 tip on a $92 bill. Or the guy with the crucifixion t-shirt that says someone to look up to, who complains that his baked potato is too hard and his iced tea is too icy. 
I cheerfully fix both, and he leaves no tip at all. As a general rule, people who wear crosses or WWJD, what would Jesus do, buttons, look at us disapprovingly no matter what we do, as if they were confusing waitressing with Mary Magdalene's original profession. Now, I have to say, to be fair, I didn't love this book. I thought she was a little bit biased, and I think calling people jolly and sanctified is, is a little bit trolling for a fight. But I also worked in a restaurant, and nobody wanted to work church tables because their behavior was horrible. They didn't tip. And they were a little bit sanctimonious. I, I think that that's probably true. Um, the point is, people notice your behavior when you wear Christian clothing or talk about God or talk about the fact that you're in church. Now, does this mean that we can never mess up? Absolutely not. Um, the Apostle Paul himself, who is like a hero of faith, described in Romans 7 how he was constantly messing up. And when I first gave this talk, I messed up less than 24 hours before I gave this talk with my wife telling me, ouch, that was a bit harsh. So we are going to mess up. God forgives us for that. It just means that we should be conscious that even when we're not trying, we do have a testimony. To me, the fact that we are constantly sharing our faith story, whether we like it or not, is a reminder that it's important to be in Christian community so that our involuntary response to difficult circumstances is trained to be God's response. This is why soldiers and police officers and firefighters train for difficult drills with real bullets, real fire, so that when the time comes and the bullets are flying or the fire is raging, their instinct will be to do the right thing, right? We want to be around other Christians, studying God's word, praying together, building each other up, so that our instinctive responses to stressful situations will reflect the peace, love, grace, and self-sacrifice that Christ himself demonstrated in his life. I'd like to give a last example of, of a situation like this. I, many years ago, was on a flight from Boston down to DFW, and it was icy, and at the time, there, this plane had crashed recently because of ice in the wings, and so every plane was having to de-ice its wings, right? Every plane, there is only so much de-icing equipment to go around. What was happening was you would get your things de-iced and then the runway would close and then you'd be up to the runway and they'd say, oh, the de-icing stuff has expired and you'd have to go do it again. So people were grumpy, grumpy. And uh, we're on the plane and everyone was going to DFW, so everyone's worried about connections. And I wanted to ask a question just about the fastest way to get to my gate because at the time they didn't have the, the tram. And so after they had done the major stuff, she, after the flight attendant had talked to the most people, I asked a question. I said, I have a connection. And, and she cut me off and said, so does everybody else. And she walked away. Now she later came up and apologized. And I remember thinking, wow, this is a job where she really needs to be able to be in control when the situation is dire. She might have to give people potentially life-saving instructions in the air while something is going wrong. She needs to be trained to reflect the calm collectedness of a person who is trained and knows what to do, of a person who has hope. She needs to be trained so that people come up to her and say, like they should say to us, excuse me, you just seem to have a special glow 
what is, what is that glow? We've talked today about sharing our faith story. Uh, we are commanded to disciple others, and for most of us, the majority of our sharing will come through sharing our lives with others. Some of the sharing will come through intentional time, but also some of the sharing will come through the part when we're not paying attention. And for that, wholly recommend that we spend time in Scripture, in prayer, and with other Christians so that our response in a difficult situation reflects the love and the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. Thank you.